We're in 2 Kings in the Old Testament this morning. Uh, if you're visiting this morning, we are in a series as a church. So the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about vision, uh, having a vision for our life. First week, we talked just a little about, about the importance of the significance of having a vision for your life. Uh, last week, we talked a little bit about our shape. Uh, no, we didn't stand in front of a mirror and take a look at that. That's depressing. But anyway, we, uh, we talked about how God has shaped us. We use the word shape as an acronym for spiritual gifts, for heart or your passions, abilities, A, uh, personality, like Chad, over the top, and uh, experiences. God takes all these things to shape us in our life and then uses us in ministry to the body of Christ and mission to the world. We, we talked about that a little bit last week. This morning, I'm going to talk about uh, something really important for vision having two sets of eyes, physical eyes and spiritual eyes. If you're going to have a vision for your life, if you're going to maintain that vision and carry it to completion in your life, then you're going to have to have both sets of eyes. You're going to have to be able to see things uh, physically. You've got to be aware of circumstances, challenges, conflicts, barriers, relationships. But you've got to have spiritual eyes. You've got to be able to see beyond the surface. You've got to be able to see God's word in the midst of a circumstance. You've got to be able to believe in God's promise when you can't see it being fulfilled. You've got to trust in his presence when it's like you're all alone or maybe outnumbered or, or overwhelmed. Uh, how many love the verse in, uh, in Hebrews, I think it's 13 verse 5, where it says, he'll never leave us or forsake us. And holding on to his presence uh, regardless of the circumstance we're going through, pretty important in our life. So let me share this little quote with you, and then we'll pray and get started here. It says, um, it is not your situation that determines your courage, but how you see your situation. And that's really true, regardless of what we're facing in our life. It's not the situation that determines your courage, but how you see the situation. So uh, let me say a prayer. We'll get started. Uh, Jesus, this morning... We want to ask you to open our eyes, Lord, just like the title of the sermon. I want to ask you to give us wisdom and insight. Lord, some of us are in challenging situations or circumstances this morning. Lord, we need to see. We need to be reminded of your word or your truth. Lord, open our eyes. Uh, some of us, Lord, we, we come against barriers in our life, and we, we feel like we're at the end of the road. So, Lord, today, through the power of the Holy Spirit, open our eyes. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for hearing our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Can we all say amen together? Amen. Okay, so let me start out with a little bit of background. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, probably not the most familiar passage uh, in the Bible. Basically, the kingdom of Aram is at war with Israel, which seems... Israel is always at war. Have you noticed that in the Old Testament? <laughs> and this poor little nation is always getting beat up. Uh, king of Aram's uh, at war... But every time he plans an attack, it's like Israel knows what he's going to do bef bef before he gets there. It's like someone's a traitor uh, inside uh, the, the, the castle in, in Aram. And uh, as a result of that, over and over and over again, Israel keeps defeating. Every time they uh, launch an attack, it's like they know where they're going to be and, and, and how to defeat them. So he's pretty frustrated. So he calls his officers in and asks, which one of you is the traitor? <laughs> Who keeps telling the army of Israel what, we're, what our plans are? And 
basically one of his officers pulls him aside and said, it's Elisha, the man of God. In other words, God keeps telling the prophet exactly what Aram's going to do, and he goes and tells the king, and of course, every time uh, Israel's prepared. So the, the king's really angry. <laughs> he says, find out where he is so I can capture him and bring him back. So uh, anyway, they find out where he is, and they come back and say, he's in Dothan, which is a little town up north uh, near Samaria. Uh, so the king sends uh, army, horses, chariots, and surrounds the city of Dothan, of course, surrounds uh, Elisha to capture him. And I'm, I'm going to pick it up now in the uh, verse 15, 2 Kings chapter 6. Now it's early the next morning. They came in at night. They set up this plan. They're surrounding the city and, and Elisha. It says, when the servant of the man of God, this would be Elisha's assistant, okay. When the servant of the man of God got up and went early, went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Do not be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire. All around Elisha, the army of God, the angels of God, all surrounding uh, to protect them. Verse 18, as the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man they were looking for, that you're looking for. Of course, he's the man they're looking for, but now he's kind of playing a trick on them here. Uh, so uh, he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there they were inside Samaria. So they're captured now inside a, a, a walled city. Uh, when the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Uh, Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you've captured with your own sword or bow? Uh, set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, uh, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands of Aram stopped raiding uh, Israel's territory. Basically, God, with his kindness, turned them uh, from enemies into friends. And uh, in fact, there's a, another section a little later here in 2 Kings where they actually fight on behalf of Israel to help protect uh, when a different enemy is, is coming against them. Verse 16, that's what I want us to focus on here. It says, uh, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Could we read that out loud together? Uh, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I, I, I want you to think about your vision or maybe think about what you're walking through right now. You know, sometimes we have a tendency to be so negative. Have you noticed that? that sometimes our first thought is fear, or, or our first feeling is defeat, or, or our first uh, emotion is discouragement, or even sometimes depression. And yet, here's what the Lord says. Those who are with us are more than those who are, are, are against us. Now, I don't know about you, but I love this story because of Elisha's vision. 
just the, the way he sees. And I, I don't know about you, uh, but, but this is the opposite, I think, sometimes. In fact, e e even, even here in this circumstance, both of these men are believers. I mean, this is, this is kind of like the assistant pastor of the church, okay? This is Elisha's assistant. He's a believer. He, he knows Israel's history. He knows the promises of God. And yet, you see how panicked he is when he gets in trouble? It's like his focus is totally on the physical realm. And yet... Elisha's immediate response is, do not be afraid. Don't you love that? Do not, there's something of maturity there, something of, of spiritual depth where the situation looks frightening and yet you see beyond the situation. And that's one of the things we see about Elisha here. He had two sets of eyes. It wasn't that he was denying the physical realm, but he saw in the spirit that more were with us than more... Uh, th than those who were against us. And, and I don't know about you. I need to remind myself of that. What does it say in Romans chapter 8, verse 31? If God is for us, who could be against us? He, he who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? How many know that in the win end, we win? Victory... <laughs> Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, and he set in motion victory for us, and yet we're so focused on the here and now and the practical and the challenges that we're facing sometime. What does it take to see in the Spirit? What does it take to truly have vision like uh, Elisha did? You've got to somehow develop spiritual eyes that... that that look to God's word in the midst of every crisis, that hold on to God's promises during every difficulty, that really trust in God's presence when you're going through uh, something that's uh, very sometimes horrible or challenging. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds uh, from the mouth of God. Psalms 46, verse 1 says, God is our refuge and God is our strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Okay, more are with us than those who are against us. And then Isaiah 41, verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Well, well, a couple of weeks ago, uh, my wife and I had a sleepover at our house. That means that our grandkids are spending the night, and uh, it's uh, a little rowdy. And uh, I don't know what this is. This is human nature, but uh, do you know that boys are different than girls? Well, here's Spider-Man, and here is, um, does anyone know what that is? Frozen? Frozen? Okay, so they want to have a contest, okay? The boys against the girls. I don't know why they do that. It just comes natural, you know. Ashton and I against uh, Natalie and uh, Cheryl. And want to see the, who can put together the puzzle the fastest, okay? So, uh, you know, if you don't bo know boys or girls are different, just take a look at what they play with. It's a, you know, a boy can make a gun out of a peanut butter sandwich. I don't know what it is, but it's like, you know, he starts pretty soon. It's got a, it's got a handle and a barrel. Well, okay, so, uh, you know... All of a sudden, go, you know, the, the pieces to the puzzle, which I won't do here, uh, or get, get poured out on the floor. 
And Ashton immediately, you know, starts trying to put this puzzle together. Now, he doesn't really understand the puzzle, doesn't really know how it goes together, but he's just looking for, you know, little, little things that will join colors, variety of things. And uh, one of the things I noticed after a couple of minutes, Ashton and I are getting beat really bad, <laughs> which really bothers me because I am highly competitive. And, uh, and so I look over to see what my wife and Natalie are doing. And here's the, here's the, the outside of the, the frozen puzzle. That is a perfect picture of what they're trying to build. And they have the, the cover laid out so they can see where they're going. Who would have thought? You know, <laughs> the two of us are just trying to figure out all these different uh, puzzle pieces, how to put the thing together, and we're just getting killed. So finally I go, ah, I didn't, I didn't even know the outside of the bag was the puzzle. <laughs> sure slow, but I'm not very good. Anyway, <clears throat> excuse me. So finally I get that laid out there, and we start picking up pace, and we just about beat him, but we lost. So, you know, without the big picture... Life is really confusing. When you're trying to put together all the pieces to the puzzle, some of the difficulties and circumstances, conflicts in life and marriage and career and relationship, we all need the big picture if we're going to have a vision, don't we? Do you have a big picture for your life? Do you even understand what the big picture is? You know, it's amazing. The world we live in says, you know, if you could just buy that new Dodge Ram truck happiness and bliss forever you know there's this there's this subtle lie in the world constantly that if we had that one more thing we would have the peace or we'd have the happiness or or, or the joy that we we long for and that's so far from the truth did you know that you're created by god you were created for god to know god to love god and, and to worship God, and there's something in knowing him, loving him, serving him, obeying him, that brings all the happiness and joy that every human being on the earth longs for. It's really true. God created us for a purpose. He had a plan for our lives when he created us. He had a plan for this entire universe and the entire world we live in. And as beautiful as it is, it's been affected by sin when sin entered the world. When sin in the world, every one of us were separated from God, and we lost the life, we lost the joy, we lost the peace that God intended for us, and everyone in the world is searching to find that. But it can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in him is life, and that life is the light of men. And God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know that this life is just the beginning? This is not all there is. Okay, the Bible says, eye is not seen, ears not heard, nor is it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So life begins now, but this is like kindergarten. It's going to last for all eternity, and God created us for a purpose uh, for all eternity. He's got a plan and a purpose. He shaped every one of us with a specific idea in mind. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. We talked about that the last couple of weeks, how God uniquely designed each one of us for all eternity for what he's going to do as he continues forward 
forever, if you can imagine that, whether it's creating or fashioning or designing, this world is going to be transformed. The Bible says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And if this one is cool, just think about the next one. I mean, heaven's a real place. It's not a state of mind. The Bible talks about streets. It talks about mountains. It talks about rivers. It talks about lakes. Jesus is on a horse. I'm not sure if there's going to be animals, but I'll tell you this, it's going to be beautiful. Some of you love animals, say that for sure they're going to be there. But the big picture is that this is not all there is. And yet we, we live for all these temporal things. If we only had this, if we only had this, we only had this. But the only satisfaction we'll ever find is in the person of Jesus Christ and a relationship with God that comes through faith in him, turning from doing it our way, turning back to God and discovering him. Now, if you don't have the big picture in life, then none of the pieces of your life are going to make sense. All these difficulties and all these challenges and all these trials. Now, once you come to know him, God begins to work your purpose and plan. How do you know the Bible says in Romans 8.28, God works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And as you start taking your life and giving it to him through the power of the Holy Spirit, he starts putting the pieces together and begins to work out his purpose for your life. If you don't understand the big picture, if you don't understand that in this life we live by faith, not by sight. How many know that's true? The spiritual realm is real. <laughs> we, we just read a story about it here. It says in 1 Corinthians 10... It talks about all the things that took place in the Old Testament. It says these things happened to teach us. And it refers to us as the ones on whom the end of the age has come. So all these Old Testament stories that are, many of them are miraculous and powerful. And this one that gives us insight into the spiritual realm, they're real. They're true. This is what life's all about. And you need to know there are more with you than against you. You need to know that God has a plan for victory for your life so you don't have to be afraid. Why don't you tell your neighbor this morning, you never have to be afraid because there are more with you than there are for you. And yet fear is one of our biggest enemies in life. Now, there are a lot of pieces to the plan that God has for your life. And all of us, we've got something inside of us that gives us a sense of destiny. It might be a dream or whatever. But let me give you a couple of things that God is using and working together in your life uh, to help complete the picture. Okay, he gives us the vision, the dream. There are decisions, and some of us are in the middle of making a decision right now. There are decisions that we'll have to make that will affect our future, there are delays. Sometimes we feel like we're put on the shelf just waiting for God's plan to unfold. There are difficulties that we go through in our life. I want to talk about that a little bit. Sometimes we reach a dead end where we feel like all hope is lost. But thank the Lord, God loves to turn crucifixions into resurrections. And he loves to bring to back the purpose and plan when all hope is lost. So let me take a couple of minutes and, and talk about that. Has God deposited a dream in your soul, in your heart? 
You know, I know he did with Joseph. We talked about him a little bit last week. When God put a dream in his mind, it wasn't Joseph's dream. It was God's dream. God gave him a dream of being a leader. One day, all of his brothers and his father were going to bow down. Now, that wasn't something Joseph wanted, but God planted a destiny in his soul. And sometimes, God plants a sense of destiny in our soul. And that gives us a sense of calling and gives us a sense of purpose in our life. Uh, how do you know when it's God's dream? When it's not about you. When it's about glorifying Him. When it's greater than anything you could do on your own, where you're going to need His power and His people to help you fulfill that dream. If you have a dream that you're going to move to L.A., be a rock star, make a lot of money, drive a fast, that's probably not God, okay? Just, just in case uh, this morning, but... God often starts with a dream. Sometimes he just gives you a burden. Some, sometimes you have a burden, a certain need out there, certain people. He just gives you a burden. But that burden becomes a dream. You begin to see what you'd like to do or what you believe God could accomplish through your life. So God starts with a dream. And then he work, uses decisions. We all have to make decisions. We have to step out in faith. We have to take a risk. And, and that's really hard. But, you know, there are a lot of dreamers, but not as many as will go for it. We'll, we'll take the step of faith. You, you can't walk on water till you get out of the boat, you know. You never experience God's power till you let go. It's like that picture of the trapeze artist. You know, when they're, have you ever watched them? You ever wonder what it'd feel like to let go and trust the other person to catch you, you know, catch your arms and take you to the other side? That would scare the bejeebies out of me. I'm just saying, <laughs> I can't imagine what kind of faith it takes to let go in the middle of air, so to speak, and trust the other person is going to catch you and carry you to the other side. But every person who's turned over control of their life, uh, turned over control of their future, has gone through that moment of fear and finally took a step of faith to let go. And, and there's a requirement of that. God wants us to trust him that he is there and turning from our control to God's control is a huge decision and it's one that we all have to make uh, in our life along with decisions there are these delays that where we feel like we're just waiting on God forever and I, I talked about this uh, on Monday night with the men God has to do a work in you before he can do a work through you Okay? God has to do something in your soul before he can start doing a work through your life. He has to do something in your life. In fact, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Can you imagine that? That God himself would be at work in me, both to will and to do his good pleasure. But God has to start a work in you before he can do a work through you. And again, Joseph, a great example of that. Okay, God gave him a dream, and he started a work in him. But, but, but God needed to do a lot of things in him. If you read the story of Joseph, I don't know what it was. Was he bragging? Why did he immediately tell his brothers, hey, I had a dream, and you were all bound down to me, and not expect to get beat up? I, I don't I don't. I don't get that one, I'll be honest with you. It says his brothers hated him all the more when he had that dream. Now, you know, Joseph was kind of a favored son of, of, of his father. And I'm not sure why other than he was the son of uh, 
that, too complicated. He had four different <clears throat> wives. But anyway, um, pretty complicated story, but, but, but he had this sense of favor, and as a result, his brothers hated him. And, and can I tell you, if, if, if you believe you're a child of God, if you're living for a different purpose, if you have a higher calling, you know, there are guys in the workplace that are going to act this way, say these things. There are women in the workplace that are get involved in gossip and slander, stuff like that. Because you're called of God and you have a dream of God, there's going to be something about your life that doesn't want to be a part of any of that. You know what I'm saying? And you're going to be hated because you're different. There's going to be a reaction to you. People are going to resist you. You're going to walk into the room and people are going to get up and leave. You know what I'm saying? That's what happened to me. I was in college when I became a Christian and, you know, I'd been kind of a partier before then. Now I'm a Jesus person, okay? When I'd walk into the room, it's like everyone got nervous and people would start leaving. You're different. But you're different for a reason because God has a calling on your life. And God has a lot of work to do in you before he can work through you. The first thing that happened, his brothers hated him. They threw him in a pit. He got sold into slavery. He ends up working as a slave for Potiphar's house. But the Lord was still with him, and he was still working in him. And he tested his character there. Remember, Potiphar's wife urged him to go to bed with her several times, testing his integrity. You see, before God could work through you, he's got to work in you. And he had to work character into his soul before he could work through his life. Oftentimes, God's delays are not his denials. Okay, God's waiting room is where character is being formed. It's, it's where maturity develops. It's where intimacy in your prayer life, in your relationship with God uh, is developed. It's where you learn to hear his voice and trust him even when you're going through a difficulty in your life. God uses dreams. He uses decisions, sometimes delays. God uses difficulties. And this one is, is so hard for us because one of the areas that God uses difficulties is in our relationships with other people. Do you know that relationships with people will be the most challenging thing you ever have in your life? Relationships are hard. Jesus said they will know you are Christians by your love one to another. And learning to love is the hardest thing we ever do because it's not our nature. Our nature is to be selfish, self-centered, and sinful. I want you to tell your neighbor and say, I've noticed that about you. It's true. That's the way we are. Sinful, self-centered, selfish, learning how to love. You know that love is a choice, not a feeling? If you've been married for very long, you've learned this, that love is a choice. It's not a feeling. Now, feelings will follow your choices. And if you make the right choices enough, you will have feelings of love. But so often, we're totally controlled and manipulated by our feelings. And that's why we so easily fall in and out of love. We fall in and out of relationships. Our relationships are the weakest part of our lives. I had a conflict with a, a brother in our church a few years ago, and you know, it's not like we got into a shouting match and yelled at each other. Uh, but basically, he felt like I'd let him down. And, you know, as I've looked back on it, he was right. And it really hurt his feelings. Uh, he didn't know if he could trust me. So he just kind of disappeared for a while, stopped attending. Started thinking about going to another church. And, you know, at that point, when someone's wounded, how many know that 
trust is the most valuable thing you have in any relationship. Relationships are built on trust, totally on trust. And when you violated someone's trust and they're wounded, there is nothing you can do other than to pray and wait. And even after you forgive someone, you don't trust them immediately. So I realized I was in that situation with him. I was praying, Lord, I pray that he could forgive me and that somehow I could rebuild his trust. Well, thankfully, during that season, it was a couple months, the Lord spoke to him. And here's what the Lord said to him. He came back to me, he talked to me. Didn't like me yet, but he, he said, you know, I left a church once before. And he said, I, I, need to, I need to get through this offense. I need to deal with my feelings of anger, and I need to walk through forgiveness, and I need to give you the opportunity to rebuild my trust. He said those things to me. I was so impressed. I said, thank you so much. It's been about seven years now, and we are great friends. And I'm so thankful he gave me that opportunity. He has so much to give to, to you, to this church, to other people. But he came against a barrier in his life. And this happens to us a lot. We come up against a barrier that we have failed at before. You know what I'm saying? It's like we were tested there, and we backed off, and we went another way. Many times we come up against difficulties and barriers in our life that we've got to overcome. We've, we've got to break through. We don't, we don't understand all the pieces of the puzzle, but the big picture is that God loves us and he has a plan and our lives are eternal and our decisions matter. So we've got to learn to grow and get through some of these things. And, and so uh, I'm so thankful that he worked through that and as a result of that, we're going to be best friends in heaven as well. Uh, there are difficulties, there are delays, decisions... There are also dead ends when we, when we come to the end of ourself, when there's no hope or no way out. And probably the best illustration of this for me would be uh, the disciples watching Jesus on the cross. Can you imagine what that felt like for them? I mean, they had left everything. They had left families, many of them. They had left their whole upbringing uh, theologically among the Jewish culture. Uh, they had put all their faith in Jesus all their trust in him. They'd seen Jesus, you know, feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. They'd seen him raise the dead, open blind eyes. They'd, he'd done everything. He calmed a storm with a word. He said, peace, be still. And the storm ceased. And now he's letting Roman soldiers beat him, spit upon him, mock him, and then nail him to a cross. And they're watching him die. This is Superman, okay? <laughs> to this point, nothing was impossible for him. And now all of a sudden, he's literally being crucified in front of them. Can you imagine how hard that was? That was a dead end. I mean, talk about feeling defeated. Talk about feeling like there is no hope. One of the things about dead ends, if you've ever been through one, some of you maybe have been through a divorce or something that painful. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe as a parent, you've lost a child. Most painful thing you could ever go through. You know, dead ends are where you lose all trust in yourself and have to learn to put all your trust in God. You literally come to the end of yourself and you realize it's not about me anymore. It's not about my strength. It's not about my ability. I can't do it. I'm, I'm at the end. And that's where we put our trust and our hope in God. And something changes inside of us. You know, I hate to say this this morning. Do you know that's God's goal for your life? <laughs> that you'd stop trusting yourself 
and that you'd start trusting him with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. This is why Paul said it in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 8 through 9. He says, at that time, uh, we were completely overwhelmed. He's talking about different persecutions that he went through in his life. He said, at that time, uh, we were completely overwhelmed. The burden was more than we could bear. In fact, we told ourselves, this is the end. Yet now, uh, we believe that we had this sense of impending disaster so that we might learn to trust, not in ourselves, but in God who can raise the dead. that amazing? God wants us to learn how to trust in him beyond our circumstances, beyond our ability, beyond our, uh, our own strength or our own power. And there's something about that that teaches us to trust in him the last thing is our favorite it's deliverance it's when god comes through it's you know it's when god parted the red sea and all of a sudden the nation is going through it's when sarah conceived at 90 years old and all of a sudden she's pregnant <laughs> it's it's when joseph the day they summoned him and lifted him up out of prison i mean that's the day we love god loves to turn crucifixions into resurrections and I'm sure there are people here this morning where you've been through that in your life. You've seen God do the impossible. And as a result of that, it's helped you put your faith fully and completely in God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. This is what Paul says about the Lord. He says, he has delivered and he will deliver us again. Could anyone say amen to that? He has delivered and he will deliver us again. Psalms 27, verse 13 I'm expecting the Lord to rescue me again so that once again I will see his goodness to me. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on out and uh, we're going to sing uh, one more song together here before we go. But uh, I want to invite you to, to, to pray with me as, as we close. I, I know that you have vision. I know that God has put something in your heart. It's just confusing sometimes because stepping back and seeing the big picture occasionally we got to remind ourselves it's not about what we see it's about what we don't see it's about what God's word says it's about his presence or it's about his promise and we we got to step back and and get a glimpse of the big picture and I just want to pray for you I don't know what piece of the puzzle uh, is happening right now in your life whether it's uh uh, the dream part, maybe you're excited, you have vision, maybe it's a delay or maybe a decision you have to make or maybe you're at a dead end or going through some difficulty. I just want to lift this up this morning and ask God to help us see beyond the physical, see the spiritual, see what his word says or what his promise is for that situation. And Lord, here this morning, I just want to thank you that you've given us your word. Lord, you've given us your word so that so that we have something to look to so that we can trust in you and, and put our faith in you and Lord for each person in here who struggles maybe with defeat in their life maybe discouragement in their life Lord I pray for deliverance Lord that they would recognize there are more with us than with them if God is for us who could be against us Lord help them grab onto that truth this morning deep within their soul. I thank you for that. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your love. We thank you for one another. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Uh, could we all say amen together? Why don't we stand together and let Josh lead us in this song?